Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With calving at peak, farmers are busy and in need of vet assistance at times. The MooVet, Eamon O'Connell, joins us with insights and advice on the most common ailments he has seen on dairy farms since the onset of calving. Everybody has started calving with a bang. The thing we are seeing then that comes along with that is a lot of cases of milk fever. Um, so some difficult calving, some milk fevers or sick calves and calf health probably won't kick off around here for another three to four weeks when there's a lot of calves on the ground and the weather starts to get mild and, and wet and that's usually when calf disease comes to a head but at the moment yeah some difficult calvings and quite a lot of milk fever. And in relation to calvings Eamon you know farmers often second guess themselves you know whether I call the vet for assistance or I just stay going myself when they're in difficulty. Have you a rule of thumb or some guidance into how you'd make that call? Um, well I suppose it varies a little bit from suckler cows to dairy cows but your standard rules apply. I mean, you've got, first of all, you've got to give cows time. And some people, some people's definition of time versus others can be, can be very skewed in that a farmer would say, got to give her lots of time. But his time would be from, I, I saw her starting to swish her tail and I gave her an hour. Whereas realistically, we'd be, our aim would be when a cow is actively progressing at calving. So as in, you see the first, what we call the first bubble or whatever, that she's settling down to calve, she's pushing. I mean, if you're in any doubt, put your hands in and have a little feel. If you can feel the legs and the head, like you need to give the cow up to two hours to progress as naturally as you can for, for those two legs to appear and even the tip of the nose to appear before, before you intervene. Now, obviously, look, when we get called to cabins, a lot of the time it's because they haven't progressed naturally. But some of the time we do get called to cabins where just people haven't given them enough time. And it's, it's difficult for your vet when he arrives in the air then and he has to weigh up the options at maybe say one o'clock in the morning and he might be busy. Like this cow needs more time. The calf is alive. Um, there's a delicate balance. You'd, like realistically, the, your, your first thing you should be thinking of is I want the cow to come out of this as healthy as possible because she's obviously what's going to keep you ticking over for the next 12 months. So she's the most important thing. So you, you don't want to intervene too early in a normal calving scenario and run the risk of maybe giving her vaginal tear or run the risk of her holding cleanings because of a tough calving. And obviously that will have a, a massive knock-on effect on her performance and her fertility down the line. Um, so I suppose the natural progression of calving, but if a cow isn't, if, if the legs and the head are there, she needs at least at least two hours of naturally progression to open up, I suppose, and to allow the calf to come as normally as possible. Obviously, if you put your hand in and you can't feel the two legs and the head, we often get called to there's a head back or there's a leg down, definitely that's time to, to call the vet. But if everything is presenting normally and she just hasn't opened up and she's, and she's going about actively pushing and, and calving, well, then time and lots of it often solves a lot of those ones, you know. So, Eamon, you mentioned that, you know, you want the cow as healthy as possible post-calving. So looking at the scenario where you're on farm and you're faced with a cow that's in difficulty, how do you make the call as to whether you assist for a normal calving or you intervene with a cesarean section? Well, I suppose it's easy to make the call when there's something obviously wrong. So, I mean, if there is, as I said, a head back, leg down, and you, you spend a, a short while, and when I say a short while, just a couple of minutes, if you can't rectify the issue, well, then I'd be going straight to cesarean because, you know, you want, 
you want the best result. You don't want to spend too long messing about not getting anywhere. I suppose it becomes a little bit more difficult when you're looking at the size of the cow versus the size of the calf, especially in circular herds when you have a big calf and maybe a cow's pelvis that, and, and you're in that area where you're like, will I or won't I? You know? And I always think back to um, an old boss um, is actually an old boss. My wife's is a vet as well. Said you'll you'll never be sorry for doing a cesarean. So if if you stand back and you go, oh, this could be touch and go. Well, personally, I'd always err on the on let's go the cesarean side because I mean the last thing you want is it like if if the cow isn't progressing and the calf is presented properly, as in his head and his two legs are there. If she's not able to push those up on her own into the pelvis, well then something's wrong, you know. And and a lot of the time it's it's size is the issue, and we we don't have the ability to 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 measure at that stage or, or figure out what size the calf shoulders are or worse again, what size his hips are. So, and look, everybody's been caught out. They've, they've, they've pulled the calf and they've got him so far and, and things have gone wrong. I think if you're in doubt, first of all, in any doubt, give the vet a shout. And then, I mean, if they're in any doubt, more, more often than not, they will elect to, to get the calf out with the least amount of trauma to the cow. Because I mean, yes, the cesarean is, an, is, a, is a serious surgery, but at least it's it's controlled uh, and we're getting very, very good results now in this day and age with, with cesarean sections and cows, you know, so, and a lot of them are, well, a, a significant proportion of them are going back in calf afterwards. Whereas if you make make the call and you start to jack a calf and, and it doesn't go well, well, then you can often have a cow down or, you know, tears and that sort of thing and and and, and they don't bode well for the for the future of that cow in the herd absolutely you also mentioned milk fever um, an issue that you're seeing out on farms can you briefly explain what is the dynamic in the cow system that causes milk fever yeah um as i said we've seen an, an, an almighty amount of it in the last two weeks in particular more than any other spring i would think but i suppose what happens with milk fever is on the, on the journey towards the point of calving, the cow's body is getting prepared for what's coming. So what's coming is, I suppose, the big event of the calving, but straight away afterwards, particularly in these, in these high BBI, high volume dairy cows, is, is the production of milk. And the production of milk, the birth itself and the production of milk all requires calcium because calcium is responsible for, for muscle and muscle action, but it's also responsible for the production of milk and it, it gets leached into the other as part of the production of milk so we're trying to prime the cow's body to be ready for that day when everything changes you know so body condition i suppose is the first thing it's important for for all animals to calve down fit not fat i suppose would be the very very basic now i won't get into the whole arguing over body condition score three versus 2.75 but the majority of farmers that have been listening to this will know um, fat cows versus overfat cows versus thin cows, you know. So your cows in good enough body condition. And the second thing then is your pre-calving diet and its mineral content. Um, the majority of guys would be familiar with using magnesium as a primer of the system. So magnesium, you feed enough of magnesium daily in the cow's pre-calving diet right up to calving in order to prime our system to be able to absorb calcium from the gut and to be able to leach calcium from our skeletal system because that's where our calcium is stored. It's stored in the bones. So as soon as she calves, there's a big draw on from the udder and from the active calving on the calcium store in the bones and on the absorption from the gut. So you're just trying to prime that system. And I suppose what we've seen quite a bit of from a veterinary point of view, if, if we start seeing one or two milk fevers in the herd, we'll get in and we'll take some bloods off of up close cows right up to the point of calving. And a lot of those won't have adequate enough blood magnesium levels in them. So you'd be looking at magnesium supplementation. Um, the more, or the less common, but often a lot more talked about would be um, 
putting in the likes of magnesium chloride and affecting the dietary cationic anionic balance called dicad um, which tries to make the system the whole cow system acidic in the hope that she will suck more calcium out of out of her um out of her uh, out of her skeletal system but it can be more difficult to, con- to control and um, particularly in irish grass silage diets um from a veterinary point of view we'd always or mostly anyway focus on magnesium supplementation pre-cabin which can be difficult because a lot of the pre-cabbers a lot of the the higher end pre-cabbers even would have about 28 percent magnesium in them and that means they're getting 28 grams a day if, if, if it's fed correctly but I think some of the grass sided samples this year aren't coming back massively high in magnesium, so even even extra supplementation is needed. But realistically, what we're seeing more and more in, I suppose it's more older cows in particular, and um, more higher bred cows, higher bred for milk, they're really really prone to get milk fever. And obviously, said that the the heavier they are, again, the more prone to get milk fever they are. And look, a cow with milk fever, a lot of guys will will maybe go in with a bottle under the skin and see what happens. I think if you've got you've got a good cow and she's got proper milk fever and you know she's down and she's not making a great effort to get up, I think give your vet a shout and get, get, some, get some calcium into, in, intravenous as well as under the skin because um, the longer she's down and particularly what we found of late, maybe she'll calve okay and she'll go to the parlour and then she might lie down at the back of the collecting yard and not able to get up. If they're having difficulty getting up, they can lose confidence, they can get a little bit sore, they could even injure themselves. So I think the earlier the intervention you go with with, with milk fever, the better, we find anyways. And like a, a question for you then, like see, you're saying there's a huge amount of it over the last two weeks, so that would suggest that that is potentially going to continue to be a problem on farms, you know, for the rest of the calving season. Um, you know, you've identified a solution in terms of pre-calving. So for cows that are going to calve, for the rest of February and into March, April, you know, what is the strategy? Like, do you feed an oversupply of that dry cow mineral to try and prevent this? Yeah, um, good question. I suppose what we would say is the less shooting in the dark you can do with the better. So um, if you're just looking at your pre-cabin diet at present, if you don't have a mineral analysis of your of your silage that you're feeding your dry cows, you are shooting in the dark, you know. Um, like, if you have a case of milk fever or two, it might only be a small imbalance you're looking at. It could be a significant imbalance you're looking at, but you really need to know what you're playing with in order to implement a control strategy. Um, so first thing I'd be saying to guys is, look, you can do stuff in the short term. Yes, of course, you can up your, your pre-cabin mineral supply. You could feed a little bit of sweet calmag or something like that. But I, I'd really be inclined to, if you start that, figure out what your dry cow diet contains as regard minerals and that's easy to do i mean there's lots of companies that'll do forage analysis and get it returned to you pretty quickly so at least then you know well my cow's eating x kilos of silage that means she's getting x amount of minerals this is what i need to top it up by because i mean outside of the expense of feeding extra pre-calf minerals i mean there's also the fact that i mean if she only needs for argument's sake a little bit extra magnesium when you go lorry it into her diet you can have adverse effects like scour and that sort of thing so we'd always be keen on knowing knowing what you're dealing with if you know what i mean i mean you might know today and you might implement a strategy today but by this time next week you need to know because you don't want to do something that you haven't got all the pieces of the jigsaw together um and i suppose the other thing is look there's lots of fellas there now at the moment looking at cows about to calve in the next week and like they're six lactation cows they might be seven thousand seven thousand five hundred liter cows and you're kind of going right she's old she's going to give me a lot of milk and she's over conditioned i'm not going to be able to change that now so like, look, having the supply on hand, I mean, as I said, the bottles of calcium under the skin, what, what we've actually found really good is, is 
calcium boluses um, that you can give pretty much on the point of calving. So when she starts to calve, if you've got an at-risk cow, and I mean, some guys will know that their cows that are at risk, that are carrying extra condition, or maybe she got milk fever last year. As I said, old, over-conditioned cows, high yielders would be the, the main ones. A calcium bolus at calving, and again, 12 hours later, makes a huge difference. Um, I would caveat that with, you, you don't want to give calcium before they start to calf, because as I said, you're trying to prime the system. You only want to give calcium when the system needs it. So when they are actively calving or just after calving and again, 12 hours later. And and I suppose to move on and not to, you know, really labour the idea of milk fever, but in a recent Farming Independent article, you would have described milk fever as a gateway disease. Can you tell us what you meant by that, Eamon? As a gateway disease, what I would have meant by that is cows that get milk fever are way more likely to get lots of other conditions thereafter. So, I mean, let's just say you've got the ideal scenario, very satisfactory. The vet comes out, he gives his bottle of calcium into the vein, two bottles under the skin, cow pops up, off she goes. You're like, happy days, job done. Unfortunately for her, immediately she's increased her risk of developing other um, conditions post-calving. So she's more likely to develop ketosis. She's more likely to develop a left-displaced or a right-displaced abomasum. She's still more likely to hold her cleanings, um, retained placenta, metritis. Also, that dip in, in calcium supply affects their immune system. So if she's immunocompromised or her immune system is a little bit lower, she's more likely to develop high cell mastitis. I mean, it, 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 it literally opens the gate and makes them a lot more likely to pick up an awful lot of other diseases, which as I know we do labor the point of milk fever quite a bit. And some people go, oh God, another guy talking about milk fever. But when in herds that do get milk fever, like you're looking at for every one clinical case, you might have up to 10 subclinical cases. So, I mean, if you've got a hundred cow herd and you have five cases of milk fever, there's a potential for up to 50 other cows to have subclinical milk fever, which obviously isn't, isn't visible to you as in they're not down and they don't need calcium, but it's opened the gate to them being a lot more likely developing mastitis, metritis, displaced abomasums, ketosis, all, all the conditions that we see in the springtime. Um, that make cows sick. And I think, look, what, what you've talked about in terms of having the bottles of calcium and, and the boluses is something that on the point of calving uh, or during the calving process that, you know, you're potentially um, ruling that issue out for post-calving and, and further on into lactation. If we move on to calves, Eamon, you know, you would have referred to calf health. And, and I think it's interesting what you say. It's probably something that's coming down the track, not necessarily an issue on, on farms right now. But, you know, when the calf shed is full and the weather is mild, what sort of calf illness and disease is the most common things that you would be out on farm treating for? Two most common things really and for sick calves or for young calves, I suppose, and calves under six weeks probably is what we're de- going to be dealing with for the next for the next couple of months. Most of the time getting sick is scour and pneumonia. It's pretty simple. Um, the first thing we usually see in, in people's yards are outbreaks of scour, like rotavirus being one of the most common ones, cryptosporidium being a horrible one that a lot of people are getting more experience of. And pneumonia would be the other would be the other condition. Um, what we often see is everything is going fine on a lot of farms, and even in our our practice at present, every spring is the same. We we kind of we're tipping along, we're calving cows, we're doing the milk fevers, and the sick calf calls are quite low. And you almost get lulled into a sense of Do you know what this mightn't be so bad this year, and then you get a weekend where it snows or where the temperature changes or where there's a storm and the wind whistles into sheds full of calves, and all of a sudden they're they're on the brink because 
look, everybody's calving a lot of cows very quickly. There's a lot of calves on the ground. Um, facilities, systems are under a little bit of pressure. And the slightest change can push things over the edge. And next thing, two to three days after the weekend, we start seeing the, the scour cases starting to build up and the, and the pneumonia cases starting to appear as well. And how can we prevent this, you know, in terms of practical tips that avoid this issue on farms? It's always going back to basics, really. I mean, if you have calves, you have to, I always say, we're, we, we're, we focus on treating calves like small cows when they should really be treated like babies, like almost wrapped in cotton wool for the first five or six weeks, because they are, they're baby calves. Like So, I mean, you're looking at the very, very basics. Air in the shed they're in, as in enough circulation of air where it's fresh, but there isn't a draft down at calf level. Calf comfort, um, dry bed. We always do the test and we say to guys, look, if you can take your pull-ups off and you've just got your jeans or your trousers on, if you kneel down in the calf bed where the calves are, your knees should be dry. If your knees are coming up wet, well, then your calf bed is not suitable for your calves and, and it's going to stress them out. Um, and then nutrition as well. Um, there's a lot of focus on on nutrition of late between different types of milk powder and different types of rates of it being fed and whole milk versus milk powder, all that kind of thing. Um, I think feeding enough makes a huge difference. Um, a lot of guys are feeding the bear two, two and a half liters morning and evening. And in reality, if you look at a 50 kilo calf, he's going to need that at a very minimum just for maintenance. And I mean, if when the temperatures start to drop, I know where it's given to get cold towards the end of the week or it'll be cold at some stage in the next two months let's be fair if you get down into the minuses we're not going to escape I mean all of a sudden calves that are on five litres of let's even say five litres of decent whole milk suddenly their requirement to keep themselves warm goes up by a litre a day not to mind the extra they need and some people do get afraid of all oh, you know the calf will get a milk scour I, I think if a calf is healthy um he can drink ad lib milk. I mean, there's lots of sucker calves drinking as much as possible. And I know lots of guys that are feeding their replacement heifer calves up to nine liters of whole milk or up to 900 grams of milk replacer and absolutely no issues, you know? So I think if your, if your environment is right, um, the rest will follow suit. And I suppose then, look, you, you do have to branch into things. Once your environment is right and you're happy with your, your, your calf sheds and, and that they're dry and that they're clean and that they're warm enough, but enough fresh air, um, you're looking at some of the vaccinations in from a veterinary point of view. I mean, a, a lot of farmers at the moment are vaccinating their cows for rotavirus, coronavirus, E. coli, and that pat, the antibodies pass on through the colostrum into the calves, which at least gives them good protection against rotavirus scour in particular. But as well as that, we've seen a lot more cryptosporidium in herds of late, and we do find that vaccinated herds tend to fare better, um, simply because if a calf gets scour from cryptos, chances are he's going to get rotavirus on top. But at least if he's got, if he's vaccinated and he's got enough of antibodies, um, that's definitely going to help. Similarly, the pneumonia side of things, um, there are lots of pneumonia vaccinations out there for young calves, like that'll protect them against IBR, RSV, and other things like Histophilus, PI3, all those bacteria, Pastorella. Um, but look, a lot of farms would be different, so it's worth talking to your vet. But I think if the basics aren't right, vaccines don't don't fix it. So if your if your calf sheds aren't right, and even right back to your calf and box hygiene your basic principles of colostrum, if, if you're falling down there, well, then I suppose all the vaccines in the world aren't going to fix an issue thereafter. You know? and, and finally, Eamon, like you've, you've given us a huge amount of information and a lot of tips throughout this conversation. But a final thing, you know, 
you, we often talk about being prepared for calving and, you know, we might necessarily have, um, you know, all of the boxes ticked and, all, uh, ticked and all of the supplies in the yard. But for you, from an animal health perspective, what are the must have products that farmers should have at hand in the yard this spring? Uh, look, oh, I, I won't I won't label you with a big long list, but I suppose some of the basics from like from a veterinary point of view that we get called out would be like, a supply of more than one stomach tube, you know, like one for feeding colostrum, one for treating sick calves, at least you're not transferring over bacteria. Um, a decent navel spray, um, chlorhexidine alcohol-based navel spray. So at least every calf's navel is getting dipped and treated. So you're not allowing bacteria enter through that. Um, something that's going to gain more and more popularity is, and your vet would advise you on it, but a lot of sick calves, we're, we're obviously trying to move away from antibiotics, even without the regulations changes, we're, we're trying not to lob antibiotics into into every sick calf. Anti-inflammatory medication makes a huge difference. Like a lot of a lot of calves that get sick with high temperatures, that kind of crack, when they get non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, temperature comes down equally when they've scour and they've got a cramp in their stomach. Some of those, that anti-inflammatory medication will definitely help. But again, that that's on the advice of your vet, obviously. Um, like, look, I suppose the, the hygiene side of things is the big thing. Um, we've mentioned we've mentioned having the calf shed clean and that, but I mean, having a decent disinfectant on hand for argument's sake. And again, you, you can you can chat to your own vet about, about what bugs you have in the house, but being able to clean out your calf shed regularly and disinfect it does make a huge difference. I mean, some people will clean it out and rub the power hose on it. If you're, if you're not disinfecting, you're not getting rid of the bacteria. I mean, you can have a big long list of stuff in the yard and, and historically people would have had bottles of X, Y and Z ready, but I mean, that day obviously is gone. So I suppose we're looking at it from a preventative point of view now as opposed to a reactive point of view if possible. That's super, a hugely informative conversation. And I think, you know, when we consider cow health, there's some key tips that you have presented uh, to us in order to really get things right on farm uh, today. Thank you, Eamon. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Eamon O'Connell for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.